Hello and welcome to the Uncapped Podcast, proudly presented by Roast House Pub, where elevated culinary creations meet a fresh, evolving craft beer selection, making it one of Frederick's unique dining destinations. Hey everyone, I'm your host Chris Sands, and today I'm in West Virginia at Devil's Due Distillery. Uh, and these two gentlemen I'm with are going to tell me their story. Can I have you guys introduce yourselves and tell me what you are in relation to the distillery? Um, yeah, my name is Brian Halbert. I'm one of the owners. And I'm Wiley McDade. Uh, Brian and I are brothers, uh, and I'm the other owner. Uh, don't they say you shouldn't mix business with family? Or is it, is it working out? Maybe it's when there's alcohol involved, it's okay. Or does that make it worse? Like it <laughs> seems to help. So, <laughs> so what, um, what, do you, what do you guys do? What have you done or what, did, what did brought you to opening a distillery? Yeah, so we both came from other careers. Um, I was in the Navy for 25 years. Uh, Brian was in the private sector for that long doing his thing. Uh, but we were both on the, kind of the retri- retirement track there and wanted to manufacture something. And whenever we seemed to ever talk about it, we always had a glass of bourbon in our hand. And so, you know, we were having a drink. Um, and, and so I think we kind of discussed it one day and said, you know, what if? And, and it kind of went from there. We built a little still. We gave it a try. Uh, to see if we could actually do it, um, and then we just scaled it up. So, the what what time frame would that have been in? Like how how long ago did that was the seed planted for? Probably money? about seven or eight years ago at this point. I don't know. Time's flying by lately, yeah. so it's hard to keep track. But twenty fifteen, yeah. I'd say. So it was early on, really before craft distilleries really took off. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, a part of me wishes we had gotten in sooner, but we've also benefited from coming in a little bit later because all the uh, micro distilleries and people like that have kind of paved the way, you know, as far as legislation goes, fixing the, uh, I'll say, the broken alcohol laws in various states. So, when in, I think too that we're in craft beer it was beneficial for being earlier but one thing that's been said to me by multiple craft distilleries is that it's a very different dynamic because you your competition isn't making an inferior product where like craft breweries were going up against large breweries that didn't necessarily have full like the best flavor or everything but the humongous distilleries are making amazing products. So your, your competition is much harder to break into it. So having those craft distilleries paving the way ahead of time and the educational standpoint of it, like what is craft distilling was probably to your benefit. Yeah, there's uh, I think the competition between small distilleries is fairly minimal. I mean, all the other distillers we've talked to have been very helpful and, you know, we return the favor to other people um, that come to us as well. But um, I mean, really we're fighting for the market share of Jim Beam and those yeah. guys. So, I mean, we're not going to impede each other too much because and we also produce different products. You know, the flavors are slightly different 
you know, we're super micro batch. So it's true. It's, I mean, it kind of works to our advantage in some ways to be able to find a distinction between us and larger, much larger distilleries. And that's the, well, yeah, of course, they make wonderful products. Um, I mean, I, I don't talk bad about any of them. I, I understand the business. But we make products that, well, that fall into that category, but they just, they're different. Um, and there's a lot of reasons they're different at small distilleries where, you know, most of us, because of the way we make whiskey, there are inconsistencies. Uh, whereas you go to a large spirit brand, there's never an inconsistency. The product always tastes the same. And so we create, I think we create flavors and tastes that you can't get anywhere else. And that kind of, it's, yeah, it, it, it's niche in the beginning, but that is kind of the backbone of our business right now. Yeah, then I would think too, the larger ones, and by no means a connoisseur at all, but I would think like, when people are buying a bottle of Weller or Buffalo Trace or Jack Daniels or Jim Beam, like they're expecting it to taste exactly what it tastes like the last time they had it. So absolutely, they, they, they're not able to play around with different flavors and things the, the way you're able to. Yeah, absolutely. The, in the craft world, that idea of everything's exactly the same all the time definitely is shifted way towards the other of like, I want to try something different. Yeah. And, and like from a micro distillery standpoint, you know, our batches are one or two barrels maybe, you know, so, and depending on when the mash was made, you know, what, what season, um, and you know, when it was distilled, I mean, the, the, there's going to be variance there. And I think it's kind of fun because, you know, you get to really delve into, you know, what causes certain flavors and things like that. So so you were sitting around drinking bourbon and decided we're going to open a distillery. How long did it take from that uh, drunken idea, <laughs> with, uh, my words, not yours, <laughs> to opening the distillery? We started buying books. Yeah. And then we started reading about other people's experiences. We hit the road quite a few times together to go meet other distillers just to get a basic understanding of, of the business. And the vast majority of distillers are really welcoming. Um, we've got amazing friends in the distillery business throughout the entire region. Uh, just because they'll tell you, you know, they, I think the common thread is that we're all kind of the same type of people. Um, you know, there's a little, there's a lot of adventure in this. There's a lot of, it's, it's a lot of fun to do. And, and so when you meet other people like that, they'll be, they'll open up with you and, and they'll tell, most of them will tell you pretty much anything you want to know. And so we built on a lot of that, uh, friendship that, that really helped us kind of build the initial vision of the place. And then we started a little bit of experimentation. Yeah. And primarily we were waiting for him to retire from the Navy. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> I was ready to go at any point. So. And uh, one thing I quickly thought about when I, when I learned how how to distill, and by learned how to, I like, just watched people do it, was really how the slightest differences in temperature or like how sciency <laughs> the once you get it to the still. It is, and how much you have to know 
to be able to make a good product and how many opportunities there are for you to screw it up. We give a lot of tours around here and I've had a few comments like, oh, what well, you must really understand your chemistry well. And I, I look at, always look at them and say, when it, when it comes to something in this room, yes, as a, as a wider chemist, absolutely not. But, it, but we, uh, we put a lot of importance on that here on understanding the, the type of water, um, how we balance that water, understanding our, our yeast health, uh, and the nutritional aspects of, of, of making sure that the neat, the yeast stay healthy during the, the fermentations. But yeah, there's a, there's a fair amount that goes into it. So when you first opened, what did you, well, actually, so when did Devils do open? We opened the doors in our facility here to the public in April of 21. So kind of in the, smack dab per- in the perfect middle. Perfect time. Yeah. Coming up on our <laughs> two-year anniversary. When um, So you said open the doors to the public. Where Did you start distilling and putting liquid into barrels before then? or uh, So the one of the biggest... Uh, hurdles when you open a distillery because we're focused on aged product is you know what do you sell and pay for the overhead and the rent and everything um so uh before we opened um you know we basically partnered with another distiller um and uh worked with them to you know provide us some products that we could sell while ours are you know aging essentially Similar to the way the wine industry yeah. uh, operates, so. Well, I mean, it's a, a um, I mean, Sagamore. What I don't think they started sell. It's only been within the, like last year that what you purchased was distilled on yeah. site at Sagamore. Yeah, and I, I even think, I want to say Four Roses was that you know model where they just bottled other product, and I think. I'm not even sure when they started distilling themselves. Yeah, it's a, it's definitely a big problem to open a business that you're – how are you going to have something that's two, three, four years old? Exactly. <laughs> to, well, a lot of us turn to moonshine. Uncapped is brought to you by one of Frederick's original Maryland craft beer destinations located off of Urbana Pike, featuring a warm, inviting atmosphere and knowledgeable staff serving up fresh, locally sourced culinary creations – and unique craft beers on tap. Open seven days a week, our friends at Roast House Pub invite you to enjoy a casual lunch, happy hour specials, delicious dinners, and specialty desserts. Follow them on social media to keep up to date on their monthly beer dinners, mom's spaghetti dinner battles, and what beer is being featured for Buck Above Monday. Idiom Brewing Company proudly offers a delicious variety of beers to satisfy the most discerning tastes. Best known for their wide array of IPAs, delicious fruited sours, and robust porters and stouts. Idiom has a simple goal in mind, to bring people from all walks of life together, to enjoy themselves and each other. Whether you're a hophead looking for explosively juicy IPAs, or one of the adventurous few looking to try boozy, sour, or complex flavors, or just looking to enjoy classic styles and seasonal favorites, they'll have a little something for you. Idiom Brewing Company is located in downtown Frederick, just south of the intersection of East Street and East Patrick Street, with ample seating directly on Carroll Creek. Yeah, so that was, and I see you, you definitely, you have a, a line of that. Has, was that a big part of what you were selling when you first opened also? Well, absolutely. Yes, absolutely. 
Um, Moonshine is a from the field to the jar is a much shorter trip than it is for a bottle of bourbon. Um, now this year is our bourbon year. Uh, we've been open now almost two years. Uh, we've had two small house releases so far, but this year I fully intend to release. We fully intend to release probably at least eight uh, separate whiskeys. So being a small place. We do a lot of experimentation. We have a lot of different mash bills back there. Most of them in the small barrel, in the 15-gallon barrel. Um, 15 months is typically the general extraction time uh, of flavors out of those barrels. And so ours will be aged somewhere to between 15 and 18 months for the first releases. And and we and we have a, a lot of exciting releases coming this year. Yeah. And those are in 15-gallon barrels um, because they... They basically mature faster than in yeah. a 53. Um, but as far as the, we also sell a, what we call an old style whiskey. And basically we take the same uh, distillate from the, our bourbon mashes, for example, and put throw it in a bottle so that people can, one, taste it. Um, you know, there's, some, there's a small target audience out there who enjoys drinking it, but it, it's also going to be kind of fun because once these barrels start coming out, you know, when they're done, you know, they'll be able to taste, here's what went in and here's what came out of the barrel. So it'll give people a, a clear idea of what that barrel actually brings to the equation. So I'm going to start shooting a series of videos where I dissolve different candies in white whiskey there and then go. taste test them at the end. Start with Jolly Ranchers. So that is... Or Werther's. <clears throat> Werther's is on the list. Um, although I... I I first thought Werther's, then I thought Cowtails may be cooler because it adds in the cream candy mm-hmm. also. So that that's the fun I have planned. Cinnamon for. Red Hots I've had excellent. Uh, sweet tarts. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so the, anything well, with sugar, the sweeter the better. Yeah. Is well, a, one of one of one of the things that's limiting like what I'm choosing is I want it to be visually appealing. So it all has to be the same color. Yeah. So it need like I'm I'm trying to pick only candies that you buy that are a uniform color. So that like I thought Skittles could be cool at first. And I was like, but then I'd have to pick out <laughs> just a ton of one color, or it'll just be a brown sludgy mess. And I don't. Yeah. I bet if I you look hard enough, you can find single color Skittles. There, out there. Are, I feel like, yeah, because I mean like. Pink Starburst will, mm-hmm. are, is going to be one of the ones. I figured that'll just look Pepto-Bismol. I think you uh, might be surprised at how few you actually need, to be honest with you, but be curious. Well, I'm going to use, like, small mason jars, and I figure I'll do, like, ha- fill it halfway up with the candy and then pour it in just to go completely overboard. Mm-hmm. But you're right. It probably wouldn't take much at all. Yeah. A couple of days, and it'll be that liquor will be whatever the color is that you yeah. put in there. I figured I'll, I'll give it a week and then see what uh, yeah. what happens after a week. <laughs> Shake constantly. Yeah. Um, my guess is they're not going to taste great, but may, might be surprised. Might be my new go-to drink afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> it's possible. I, I made cinnamon red hots one time. Good, strong corn whiskey and then just cinnamon red hots in there, and they completely dissolve. I mean, isn't that just how they make Fireball? It tastes just like, <laughs> well, or, you know, like hot damn or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> my, my friends all liked it. Um, <clears throat> so what all, um, 
what all kinds of moonshine do you have? I can see some of them. It's raspberry, peach, mango. Yeah, so we've got a, a big variety here. Uh, besides those three, we've also got a really lovely apple pie and a lemon drop. I, my next thing was going to be like, I'm sure you have an apple pie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we, we take uh, apple cider from local okay. sources. Um, we've actually brought in huge bins of apples and pressed them in the back here and just squeezed out the cider. So it's, uh, it, it's good. It's fun. Ken likes to make a mess. <laughs> <laughs> have you um, have you started filling up any larger barrels for longer aging, or yeah. are you just trying to keep up with <clears throat> so just filling smaller ones right now? The rule of thumb we try is for every two 15-gallon barrels, we'll also fill a 53-gallon barrel. Okay. So we've, we've been laying down 53-gallon barrels since the beginning. Um our age time is going to be somewhere between two to four years with a target age of probably three years on every barrel uh, before we even consider releasing them. So what we're giving you is kind of when these 15-gallon barrels come in, a, a taste of then what's going to be coming through in the volume. And eventually we'll pare down our mash bills to I'd like to see maybe six, um, and then we'll run you know the sixth of our favorite from the kind of this experimental series we've been doing for the last two years. Yeah, and the, and the benefit to using the smaller format barrels is, you know, you don't want to lay nothing but 53s down and find out, you know, four, four years from now that, <laughs> yeah, that they you all made a suck, mistake. right? <laughs> so, you know, by well, using the 15s, you get uh, feedback much quicker. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's got to be miserable, especially like some of – the when it's scotches that are aged really long, right? Mm -hmm. But like, if a small scotch place opened and like they had just tons of stuff in there and tried it, and it just ended up being a horrible mess, yeah, that would be. But yeah. I guess that's when you get into blending and. Well, yeah. the, the great thing is, is that you have to taste them all constantly, and that's. I mean, I don't say that as a joke. Yeah, um, it's one of those things. Uh, we so we go through those barrels to try, really try and understand what's occurring in that barrel over time. And I know sometimes I'll call out to Brian and say, hey, this one's, this one's turned is what I call it. It's, it's smoothed out. It's, it's, um, it's lost that roughness. Uh, that normally occurs around, I don't know, maybe month 10 um, is what I've seen, 10 to, 10 to 11. And then by kind of That's the rest and the out ones, it really gets nice. That chemical change actually happens, right, where the – I wish I could. It was so long ago that it, that it was explained to me. But the actual chemical reaction that takes place between the barrel sugars and the the whiskey that that isn't that's around how long that takes, right? I mean, depending on the size of the barrel, yeah. There's a there's a certain time where it the maturation really starts starts to occur and the smooth. There's a and then there's a period of where it's smoothing out. Yeah, because I thought uh, there the was, end. and maybe I misunderstood, but I thought there there was one aspect of barrel aging that the volume doesn't change. Like, you can't speed it up by adding surface area. That the one aspect of it, it's just time related because it's an actual chemical change. Whereas, like, the being able to speed things up with a smaller barrel because there's less. Yes. The ratio of surface area is smaller, and that's just the imparting of flavors from the barrel, but that chemical so, change. So we do, we distill differently depending on what the, which product is going into what size barrel. Okay. 
Um, so when I talk about 15 months for one barrel or 18 months for one and three years for another, those are extraction times. You're pouring a solvent into this wood. This wood's been heated to very hot temperature. The sugar is inside of that wood. I, you know, I tell a lot of people, think of a maple tree. You drill a hole in a maple tree and sugar pours out the side. Well, inside of the white oak, that sugar is in there too. And so it's being heated and caramelized. I, I see it in some of the barrels where maybe it had a little leak and there's a black caramel uh, kind of pouring out, typically plugs the hole. Um, but that's being extracted during that period. And so those sugars are running into the barrel and, and coloring and flavoring the whiskey. But then during that time, there's an evaporation that's occurring. And so another way I liken it is a reduction on the stove. You know, you, you have a liquid, and as you reduce it, it becomes more flavorful. And so as the evaporation occurs, uh, you're also increasing the flavor of that whiskey. And, and they say there's 6 million flavor components in a barrel of whiskey. There's, there's lots of things occurring in there. Some chemicals are changing into other chemicals or, uh, or, or, or components of those flavors. Um, now, when we do a small barrel, we take tighter cuts. We take less volume off the still to ensure it's as, as clean as possible uh, in terms of hearts, where the hearts fall. So okay. we might have a wider cut that we'll put into a 53-gallon barrel. Because it has that time for the barrel to pull out. The yeah, exactly. Or for those lighter, yeah. more volatile chemicals, that, you know, they all evaporate first. Yeah. A 15's not going to have that kind of time where a 53 will. It's all about time. Yeah. Thank you. I, that, I knew distilleries had different recipes and different things for depending on how um, how long it was going to be aged. But so thank you for, I think this is the first time it's been explained to me, like what the different, like from the cuts standpoint, yeah. the, the changes that would be made and why, depending on. Uh, There's all, we distill, we distill into con small containers and we take, you know, we typically take them from one gallon portions up to as high as five gallon portions. And as the buckets come off, I always look towards the fifth or the sixth one because that's typically where the the sweetest of the hearts yeah. are. So um, I'm getting so like would your old style whiskey, the cuts would be really tight exactly. on that. Yes. Absolutely. In fact, because that's unaged, um, then they, they would be the tightest on that. Uh, now we if you and I know the audience can't see, but behind you there are some small barrels that we sell here. Uh, and that's specifically for that purpose. We proof the whiskey typically around 107 uh, to, to 110, somewhere where we're going to put it in the barrel. And then a lot of people uh, are aging bourbon in their house uh, in, in that fashion. You get the bottles to fill it up, and, you know, it's kind of a fun thing you can do at home too. And that can be done in, I don't know, depending on the size, two weeks to maybe four or five months, depending on you, what you want to take. I, I've had those aging in my office before. <laughs> <laughs> nice. When I, it was two, two or th no, like three years ago now, um, I made a hop infused whiskey with McClintock. And because I didn't want to wait two years to be able to try it, they gave me one of those small barrels to, a quickly age some of it. Was that their innovation series? Yeah, yeah. It was the innovation a, series, no cover. I got a. The, I have a bottle of no cover. I have it, you tried any of it yet? Yeah, I and he, um, Braden and Tyler did uh, Riot Rye too, which yeah. was the most interesting thing. 
in the world, and they used those, uh, I think he said citrus hops uh, in its production. And it was just, my goodness, like when you, when you smell it and drink it, you're like, this is rye whiskey. This is, this is really neat. Yeah, the, at the same time, I think they did Monocacy's Rye Rye, and they did Brutus. So Monocacy Brewing just brought them large totes of, oh. they, they, they made the beer, brought the totes down to McClintock, and then they distilled them. And they, re- at the same time, released bottles that were made from Rye Rye and bottles that were made from McCl- uh, Brutus. So back to your original question. Let me, uh, I'll flip it on its head. How can Jim Beam or Jack Daniels compete with that? You know what I mean? You yeah. can't get their flavors anywhere else. And that's what makes them, that's what makes small distilleries like this popular. I mean, the way they can compete to it is hundreds of years of uh, brand loyalty and yeah. awareness. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's how they do it. And being able to pay for shelf space. and <laughs> None of us are looking for that but, volume, though. Yeah. But uh, but from a flavor standpoint, yeah, you're right. They can't because yeah. it, it, the, there's no way they could experiment on the scale that they have to yeah. make yeah. their product. And then you have to convince the bean counters it's you yeah. know, worth it. And, but, you know, and they have too many VPs of this and that yeah. to, you know, allow that sort of thing. Although I wonder, do any of those huge distilleries have like um, small pilot batches that they sell just at the distillery? Or? Well, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, and I've, I've even, you know, in my reading – come across, you know, they've done experiments. Well, they'll, they'll like take trees that are grown in the valley versus up on the hillside okay. or the top of the mountain, and they'll make barrels out of those. And then, you know, then they'll, you know, age out some product and, oh, which one tastes better, you know, and that sort of thing. So they do those sorts of things. Um, I'm not going to say they don't, but bringing it to the, you know, public in a, you know, it, it, probably a little more difficult i would think yeah i was watching um some youtube videos on barrel aging recently with some cooperages and they were talking a lot about that like well it was mainly like they were explaining why their barrels are better and it was yeah. like reasons like that that they found where the trees grow the best and mm-hmm. um <clears throat> then they were also saying like there's always the argument of that they they claim that eighty percent of the flavor of whiskey is their their work and sure. Um, they should open a distillery then. Yeah, <laughs> they're probably making plenty of uh, <laughs> plenty of money just putting. Me- they're right on the fact that wood does matter. Yeah, um, where it was grown, and we we have uh, barrel oak examples from the Tennessee Valley, from Appalachia, from the Ozarks. Uh, we buy we buy barrels from all over the United States. Um, and, I, and I can tell the difference. Uh, and, you know, a lot of it matters on how they're drying the staves, how long yeah, they've that been dry. The, that was one of the things, though, I can't remember. It's one of the large cooperages that they were pointing out is that they dry their staves much longer than a lot of other cooperages. Yeah, and we can get up to, to on our 53s at least, we can get, like, up to two year aging, um, yeah. But the biggest problem right now is there's such a shortage of barrels that I don't think the cooperages are willing to even. You yeah, know, they're like I can sell it now at a premium because barrel prices have almost doubled. Wow, just so, from the demand yes. or yeah, in the past two supply years. chain issues. Well, the, <laughs> they they experience them too. Yeah. yeah. So I didn't know if because there's so there are so many more. 
um, distilleries than yeah. before. And then, although breweries don't tend to use fresh barrels, right. they're usually second use. Yeah. Although I'm sure, no, I think I'm sure they use some single use. So you have craft breweries using barrels more than ever before. You have more uh, we have quite a few out. Distilleries opening than ever before. And then the demand mm -hmm. for whiskey and bourbon, well, bourbon's whiskey, but the, the demand for whiskeys in general is shooting through the roof. So, yeah. yeah. And we've actually talked to some people who recently opened distilleries and they're like, I can't get barrels. And it's kind of hard to make whiskey without barrels. So, now is kind of interesting. Is, is bourbon. The only one that requires a fresh use barrel? It is. Well, no, all whiskeys. Like rye whiskeys, any anything with you know, grain. Oh, so any whiskey requires it has a fresh okay. new oak barrel. So you can't take like your charred. bourbon barrel and then use it on rye whiskey. No. Okay. You can call it whiskey, but you can't call it rye whiskey. Okay. Stupid laws. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I actually just refreshed my uh memory on you know those requirements about a week ago so okay. yeah i knew bourbon had to be I, I didn't realize that other kinds required it too yeah i mean consider that as you draw the sugars out of the we're making tea here yeah. except tea bags on the outside and so as you draw the sugars out of there it, they're not replaced so the next time you pour something in there it's not going to have as much of an effect on the I think that's why the Scots have such a large appetite for used bourbon barrels in their scotch because they don't want to put that bourbon, the bourbon flavor. Because bourbon actually makes it taste good? Well. I don't like scotch. <laughs> I, don't, I don't either. I hate, well, I mean, I, I don't like, was it, is it Highland? Is the, is that Park? the, I, I can't stand the peaty, mm. smoky like flavor. Like Yes, yeah. and that that's the Highland kind, or these I are don't know. probably I just think, Islays. Yes, yeah, that's I. I mean, just to be safe, I don't drink Scotch at all. Yeah. Um, but I can't. That peaty taste and smell just yeah. like, turns my stomach. <laughs> I'm not a huge fan either. The no, the Scotch is like there's one called Dalwhinnie, which doesn't really have that peatiness to it. But um, kind of this goes back to your comment earlier about the. Uh, you know, people making scotch. The reason you see scotches that are aged 17, 21 years, what have you, and you look at it and they're a lighter color than our bourbons, um, it's because, you know, they're using some barrels two, three times. So, okay. you know, so on the third time, you got to leave it in there 20 years for, to really have anything happen to it. So the char is not yeah. as. Uh, strong. I mean, it's probably an actual technical term for that, but I'll just. It's like <laughs> it's like in making making tea with the same bag twice. Yeah, it's not going to taste the same the second time. That doesn't necessarily mean it doesn't bring its own unique uh, perspective to the spirit. McClintock Distilling is Maryland's first and only certified organic distillery, handcrafting gins, whiskeys, vodkas, and cordials from non-GMO organic ingredients in downtown Frederick. Named the best vodka distillery in the country by USA Today. Best gin in the world at the International Spirits Competition. And double gold at the World Spirits Competition for bourbon, rye, and gin. Open now for tours, tastings, and classes. Come sample the most awarded distillery in Frederick today. When, when my wife and I went to Dublin, 
we toured the Jameson Distillery, and they do they end it with a tasting of Irish whiskey, Scotch whiskey, and American whiskey. <clears throat> and when they get to the Scotch, they ask everyone if they know how to properly taste Scotch, mm-hmm. and um, they say you you hold it up, you look at it, and then you throw it over your shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And I agree. <laughs> but I also have the palate of a child. Yeah. <laughs> so how did you decide on the name Devil's Due? Uh, so we probably had been talking about doing this for two years or so. And, um, you know, coming up with a good name is kind of important. Um, and so and I was then driving, finding a good name that hasn't been taken. Yeah, there's that too. <laughs> But uh, basically, I was just driving down the road, and Devil's Dew popped into my head. Um, and so I called Wiley, and I said, hey, what do you think about Devil's Dew? And he's like, I like it. And he he's a something of an artist, likes drawing a little bit. So I don't know, a week or so later, he would sketched up a little mock logo or something and sent it to me. And I looked at it, and it was Devil's Dew, D-U-E. And I was like, oh, well, when I said Devil's Dew, I was thinking D-E-W. Um, and so basically we went back and forth on the spelling and I don't know if you're familiar with the angels share or not, Yeah. but, uh, so we kept the DUE as a play on the angels share. Okay. So, cause it's a, what the angels share and then the devil's cut. Well, the devil's cut supposedly is the alcohol that's still left in the in wood. The yeah. Um, left in the wood. But we say if the angel gets their share, the devil gets his due. Okay. You know, with what's yeah, left. Yeah. So. That's a cool story. Yeah. We lose about 20%, 15 to 20% of every barrel during aging to evaporation. Yeah. You know, white oak, that's, it's the same stuff they used to make the sailing ships out of. It's wa- it, it'll be watertight, but it's not airtight. And so every year, that barrel is losing its volume. And that's traditionally been called the angel's share. And so what's left in the barrel we, it, here, we say, is the devil's do. Is, is that logo what you sketched out, or is that something different the one and i'm pointing to the wall for anyone listening it's the the original logo up here okay the the two d's yeah um have you had trouble with bottles i know that's been a big problem the last couple of years getting bottles we have um but we get taken care of really well by our by our glass makers Uh, and they know we're small and honestly i think they probably steal from one guy and, and send them to us uh, <laughs> just because they feel so bad for us. You know, we don't, we don't really ask for, th- for that many bottles. Yeah. Um, but yes, uh, there, there has been a terrible uh, problem in that supply chain for, for going on two years now. But it's getting, I, I see light at the end of the tunnel, and so do they. It's getting better. Yeah. Basically, our, our bottle manufacturer told us that normally they have you know, these huge warehouses that are just full and you know, about a year or so ago, they're like, yeah, they're empty. <laughs> so, so basically anything that, yeah, I mean, as ba- soon as they would get it, it was shipped off to the people who had been waiting. Yeah. And basically, you know, there's hundreds, if not thousands of different bottle styles out there to choose from. But, you know, we were kind of forced into, you know, picking from like two. So, <laughs> um, and we're, I mean, we're kind of happy with the one we got yeah. anyway, but it, it's interesting. So how did you learn to distill? Because that's definitely one of the barriers of entry with it technically not being legal to distill at home. 
there is no school of distillation. Um, there are a few, there are classes you can take out there, but really we sat down and, uh, and we started doing a lot of reading and understanding production. Um, we built a small prototype from scratch. Which we only ran water through, by the way. Only, yeah, only water was ever run through that. Well, you state. can make essential oils. Probably made yeah. a lot of like peppermint in the yeah. lavender, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's one of those things you just have to, can we, can we actually do it? Um, and so a lot of it was working on mashing techniques and understanding what, uh, there's more that goes in a grinding grain than you would think. Um, you know, there are certain grains that have to be ground in certain ways. Uh, malt barley, for example, has to be rolled uh, because a, a burr mill or a hammer mill will heat the uh, malt up too high and that can damage the enzymes, which you paid, just paid a lot of money for at the, from the malt house to be, have produced. Um, all the way down to what temperature do these uh, and pH levels do, do these reactions have to have to happen in? When you make bourbon, it's made from corn. You know, the hard stuff in the field, the, the stuff they make corn cornmeal from or, or cattle feed from, and that's all starch. Um, now you make a dough out of that, and you put yeast in it. It's gonna it'll it'll rise, right? That's what the yeast does, but it doesn't make any alcohol. You have to turn that starch into sugar. Uh, and so, in effect, when we cook corn here and add malts uh, to do uh, sugar conversions, we make we make corn syrup, and that's what we feed our the yeast. Uh, and when yeast eat sugar, they make alcohol. Um, kind of the basics. Uh, but to, for them to actually do it well, there is a lot of chemistry involved, uh, especially when you're talking about high gravity mashes, very sugary mashes. And then you're adding a yeast in there into a kind of a harsh environment. And you want to make sure that because you spend a lot of money on that, that that yeast eats every bit of that sugar. Uh, because the more sugar you can jam into your mash done, uh, the more alcohol you can get out of your still at the other end. And those, and even we strive to get one more bottle out. Just one, because that, yeah. because that pays, you know, pays the lights. Yeah, the one time, it was once described to me that, distillers just make really bad beer and then yes. you turn it into a good spirit right yeah the brewers have a much more difficult time because they have to land within certain specific gravities yeah. that and first step is their end stop and they have to make sure that's yeah, yeah. And, and the, i mean it's obviously really important for you yeah. guys too but you can fix screw-ups yeah that. i mean we can leave behind in the still you know things that would taste bad in a bottle yeah. probably so and we open top ferment here which would would be unheard of in the in the brewery industry but the product of what they ferment goes directly into the bottle the product of what we ferment is going to go into the still oh, oh open fermenters are becoming popular again now yeah. yeah well it it provides local flavor yeah it's in the yeah. air i had another the next question in my mind and it just left Oh, what, what kind of still do you have? We have a, it's kind of a, a, a hybrid still. Um, I mean, it's not a, it's not a pot still and it's also not a continuous column still. So it's basically a pot still with a column on it. Okay. <laughs> um, so it kind of benefits of both So worlds. a pot still that you can then do further refining. Yeah. With the column. So okay. you, it, it it allows us to do in a single run what a pot stiller would need two or three um, to do. Uh, now with our still here, we 
can't make vodka, but you know, that's not our focus anyway. So at least not yet. If we upgrade, we might consider it. Yeah. Um, are you, you're not doing, you're not doing any kind of gin or anything either, right? No. no. Although I do want to do rum. I'm a big, uh, sipping rum fan. So if you've ever heard of Zacapa or Diplomatico or any of those spirits, um, if not, you should try them. I mean, if you, especially if you like bourbon, they're, they're basically, I mean, you don't mix it. It's not Bacardi. You're not mixing yeah. it into a drink. You're pouring it over ice or drinking it neat. It's worth trying. I'll have to check it out because I do, I like Lion's Rum a lot. Okay. Um, the, from the Southern Maryland. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, we know. St. Uh, Michael's, right? We've got a bottle of Lion Rum in the back. Yeah, um, I know it well. Yeah, theirs is really good. Um, I love, so would you want to do like flavored ones like coffee or I guess infused like coffee rums or stuff like that or maybe yeah, like I mean, just regular Yeah, that might be a, a way of selling the unaged rum, um, kind of like, you know, vodkas and things. Yeah. So that's a possibility. Because uh, Lion's Coffee Rum is phenomenal. Okay. It's so good. I haven't had that one, but... Maybe I'll look for it. It's basically rum with a little bit of a coffee taste. Yeah, right. <laughs> and I love coffee, so it's a good. It was a, it was a good blend. Sure. Um, so you said you had a lot of exciting things coming out this year. Are those different whiskeys and things, or what? We do. Um, I we've got three releases lined up for the next couple of months. Uh, the first one will be a twin malt bourbon. Um, that is a hundred percent Jefferson County grown grains, the corn, uh, the malt barley, which was malted in Jefferson County and the rye, uh, which was also malted in Jefferson County, oh, making cool. it a twin malt. Uh, and so that one's been laid down now for, well, I think about 18 months. And so that one will be coming out of the barrel soon. Following that, uh, we'll have, uh, a weeded bourbon, uh, and that one is also, I think, I think it's 100% Jefferson County. I'd yes. have, to, have to look, but uh, so a high measure of wheat in that, a nice measure of malt, uh, all on Jefferson County corn. Uh, that one is going to go into the finishing barrel. That should be ready here in a couple of months. So we'll put a second finish on that. We also have that 15-gallon barrel of 100% uh, malted rye. That'll smack you in the face. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's that's going to have some kick. <laughs> so wait, that is a single malt rye we'll be releasing also. And Are you going to do be that exciting. as a higher proof also? or uh, We'll proof it to where it tastes good. Okay. I mean, if yeah, that, I mean, that's kind of the way I view all of them, really. I mean, I'm not gonna, I don't, we don't sit there and say, oh, we're going to target 80 or 90 yeah. or anything like that. But um, we also have limited filtering <clears throat> capabilities, so... Uh, the hazing that can occur with, a, you know, the spirit getting cold. If you leave it over a certain proof, you don't have to worry so much about that. So we take that things like that into account as well. When did that happens? What in the sixties, or is it as long as higher than that? As long as your whiskey's proofed above ninety six proof, you will not have chill hazing. Okay, uh, it was higher than I thought it was. But uh, if you're down in the eighties. Uh, and that bottle is brought in, you know, into freezing temperatures. Mm -hmm. There's a possibility you could have some, some hazing occur because there's no chill filtering. Okay. Yeah. What is the best way for people to keep up to date with what you guys have going on? 
Uh, follow us on Facebook. Uh, you can find us there, Devil's Dude Distillery on Facebook. We're out in Kearneysville, West Virginia. Um, we're open every day but Monday for tastings and tours. We've got a, a beautiful tasting room here uh, with a nice big bar to give you a sample of all of our products. We're currently running 12 or 13 products right now for you to try. Um, quite a few flavored moonshines, as well as a, our three-year-old standard straight bourbon whiskey, uh, our two-year-old rye. One of our really popular products, uh, even for those who don't necessarily like whiskeys, is our maple whiskey. Uh, that's a wheat-based uh, wheat, corn, and malt mash. This one's aged two years in the barrel and then proofed down with a little bit of pure American maple syrup when it comes out. Uh, as well, we've got a premium vodka. Uh, it's quite lovely. We get great reviews on it. Uh, and then our old-style whiskey as well, which is our basically our unaged bourbon distillates. Have you seen the documentary about the whiskey, I mean the uh, maple syrup mafia? I have not. It's pretty hilarious. So like, there's, when is it Quebec? I can't remember. Some part of, um, I think it's Quebec. Some part of Canada, there's like basically a maple syrup mafia where all oh, the wow. producers kind of collude to control the price of maple syrup. And then there's this warehouse that's just filled with millions of gallons of maple syrup in huge barrels. And the documentary is about the great maple syrup heist where, like, I think it was like $3 million worth of maple syrup was stolen one year. I remember from, hearing about that. So it, it's a documentary about that. And it's it's very interesting, but also hilarious because it's about <laughs> syrup. <laughs> Check it out. Yeah. Um, There's a guy out west here that distills with maple. In fact, I think his mash is completely maple, or, or a large portion of it is. It's got to be so expensive. What's that? Heritage at Heritage Distilling. Yeah. That's out in, at, oh, yeah, our buddy Vic Bob out there. If you ever, I think he's out in the Davis Thomas area, if you ever get a chance. That, swing by and check it those out. Those bottles have got to be ridiculously expensive then, because isn't, like, actual pure maple syrup really pray? Yeah. Yeah. West Virginia's got a pretty big maple industry, actually. Okay. Fair amount of maple syrup farms up there. So he maybe he he's I I've never talked to him about that. Maybe he's got access to one. My grandfather had a lot of maple trees on his farm, so he would make his own maple syrup for us. He was not part of the mafia though. <laughs> <laughs> that you know. Yeah. <laughs> um is there, is there anything about Devil's Due that I haven't asked about that you want people to know? No, I mean, just basically we're all about local, as, you know, as close as we can be. All our grains, if we can get them, are from, you know, Jefferson County. And, uh, you know, if something's not available, we'll slowly grow our radius. Um, but uh, basically just working with various members of our community, you know, other businesses, we will, uh, you know, rather than buying on Amazon, you know, we'll find a local, you know, business to buy from because I'd rather keep our money yeah. in this area than give it to somebody, you know, elsewhere. Is is your product available? Uh, are you distributed at all or is it all through the distillery? We are. We're distributed throughout the state of West Virginia. Okay. Um, and our plans are to move out of state uh, towards the north and the east next. Uh, and so hopefully you'll see us in Maryland and, and, and Virginia in your local spirit shop soon. Yeah. And honestly, I mean, if people want to help us out uh, and, you know, find our product, 
uh, you can always go to your ABC store or liquor store and say, hey, you know, do you have any Devil's do? And if not, you know, maybe they can order it um, in a state-controlled system like Virginia. You know, getting in there is uh, very difficult. Yeah. But, um, you know, having people go in and special order it or ask for it is, you know, definitely helps us or any other distillery for that matter. If they want, if their product's not in there, you can ask for it. That is where the big guy has the leg up on us. Yeah, they, they don't. They don't have. They don't have, they don't have barriers <laughs> to entry, uh, and that's something that. Well, that's something that we have to prove ourselves to them, uh, you know, to the state as well that we can produce and we can handle your volume, um, and so that's what we're trying to do right now. How how often are you running this still? We're open seven days a week. We're either mashing or distilling every single day. So a lot. A lot. Yeah. We well, we run the still at a minimum three days a week. Okay. And then we mash at least three or four days a week. Are all of your barrels stored here or do you have an offsite rick house too? All of our all of our house made products are stored here at the distillery okay. on site. And so everything that uh it all of those whiskeys I told you about that we're releasing are aged here on site. Okay. Yeah. Do you want to answer some stupid questions now? Yeah. Or intentionally stupid questions at least. Sure. Do you wash apples before eating them? Do I personally? Yeah. Yes. Like actually wash them or you just rub it on your shirt? Uh, some people consider that washing. Some no, people I, being me. I actually I actually <laughs> wash it. Unless I'm out you know, on a hike or something, yeah. then I'll just rub it on my shirt. If I pick it off the tree, I'm just eating it. Who would win in a battle between a ninja and a pirate? A pirate. That's the correct answer. Good job. Most people say ninja, and they're absolutely wrong. <clears throat> Does pineapple belong on a pizza? I spent time in Hawaii, man, uh, when I was in the Navy. So, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's no excuse. <laughs> it's, it doesn't belong go. on a pizza. It's an abomination. <laughs> I would say no, but I actually don't mind the Hawaiian pizza. So <laughs> I, I wouldn't eat a lot of it, but. No, it's bad. Is Die Hard a Christmas movie? Yes. Yes. You definitely feel strongly about that. I do. <laughs> Creamy or crunchy peanut butter? Creamy. Crunchy. I haven't, I, I, I the, the last time I asked these questions, I said I needed to go buy some crunchy because I wasn't sure if I liked it better because my wife always just gets creamy. So I, I feel like I, I would land on the crunchy side, but I haven't had it since I was a kid. Yeah. If you were a Spice Girl, what would your name be? <laughs> Using one of their names or just no, a yours? Name? The, to describe, no, like to describe your own personality. Uh, Chipotle? <laughs> <laughs> I guess you're a Chipotle fan or? <laughs> yeah, I am. <laughs> you know Go on. Oh, come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> you got me on that one. You don't want to be a Spice Girl? I know I wanted to be David Beckham, I guess, then, you know. <laughs> if you drop food on the floor, what is the maximum acceptable amount of time for when you can eat it? Five seconds. Depends. 
That is the right answer. It de- there's so it, many if variables. It, yeah, well, if it's a hard piece of food, it can be yeah. an hour. If, if, it's, <laughs> if it's peanut butter, it's going in the trash. Yeah, same with if my cheeseburger falls on the floor, I'm going to have a rough time eating it. Yeah. <laughs> and it depends on the floor. Like yeah. if there, there, are, there are a lot of variables to that one. What would you rather have, the ability to fly or a million dollars? I'd rather fly. Yeah. That's that's the smarter answer because you could easily make a million dollars off of being able to fly. Yeah, and save on air, airplane. Who would play sure. you in a movie about your life? <laughs> I've been told I look like Don Meredith, so, but he's old. He, if he's even alive, I don't know. <laughs> so he may or may not be able to play you. <laughs> All right, <laughs> we'd have to Google that first. <laughs> DiCaprio and I are the same age. He can play me. <laughs> yes. And spitting image. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what would the title of your biography be? Jeez. Uh, I did it my way. It's a good one. Who's that? <laughs> <laughs> All right. One more. If you were a wrestler, what would your walkout music be? Song or group? Song. Big Balls by ACDC. I have no idea. Yeah, I'm drawing a blank there. (laughs) All right, then. Actually, one more. What is your most prized possession? Don't have anything you love. Our kids. <laughs> well, I assume, yeah. That's a generic one. You can't go with that. Come on, the, the one. Th- the, the still in the back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That's All right, gentlemen. Uh, thank you so much for your time today and having me out to the distillery. Mm-hmm. Uh, and thank you, everyone, for listening. Yeah, Cheers. Thanks for having thanks. us. Thanks so much. The Uncapped Podcast is produced by Graham Cullen and me, Chris Sands. Be sure to like us on Facebook. And if you've enjoyed these podcasts, please leave us a review on Google Play or the iTunes Store. A special thanks to Double Motorcycle for providing our theme music. Thanks for listening. Oh my God, that's good.